and welcome to Church for the Cities podcast in Yuma, Arizona with lead pastor Tyrone P. Jones. Our mission is for people to encounter the reality and presence of God. For sermon videos and next steps, visit us at ctcfamily.com. Now join us for the message. All right, I want to dive into the word, and if you don't mind, um, I'm going to ask you to stand one last time. Stand one last time as we open up the word. I just believe uh, that uh, as we stand and honor his word, as we stand and read his word, um, God's going to meet us. When, in Psalms uh, chapter 42, Psalms chapter 42 is where we're going to be, Psalm 42. And I'll give a little context, but I'll talk through it uh, as we go. But this is, this is what I've found when studying this passage. I found that there's a little bit of different talk, different thoughts towards this passage. It, uh, if you look at it, it says that it's for, uh, for the, 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 the descendants of Korah. But as you research, uh, most writers believe that David actually wrote this uh, for the descendants of Korah to sing, that David wrote it. But what is unclear based on what I've researched, um, I'm sure a Bible scholar will correct me after this, but from what I've researched is it's not clear if, if David in this, in this season of his life was running away uh, from Saul or he was running away from Absalom, Saul being the king that came before him, or Absalom, his son, who was actually trying to take the kingdom from him later down the line. But either way, it landed him in a very tough spot. It landed him in a very tough season in his life. But as he wrote this, these 11 verses, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's interesting that he fluctuates so much back and forth from talking about the goodness of God to how broken and sad he feels all from just one turn to the next. So, so, so as I was studying this, I thought this is the most 2020 passage I've ever seen in the Bible because it's just completely bipolar. You don't know, are you having good days? Are you having bad days? So, so we're going to read this. And, and if you don't mind joining me, Psalm 42, starting verse one, it says this, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food while my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mazar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me, but each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh my God, I cr- oh my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you want to speak to us today. We ask, God, that you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, eyes to see. As you speak in this moment, Lord, let us engage with your heart as we learn to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a number of mentors in my life, but one uh, specifically that 
thinking about today is, is this man by the name of Larry Autry. Larry Autry is a, he's, he's one of my, he's my boss actually at Southwest Rehab. I've been doing physical therapy since 2008. Um, continue to be licensed in that and and Larry's the one who who not only recruited me to the field but he, he coached me along and and really uh, became like a, a father figure to me in, in so many ways and and one thing that Larry is, is known for is Larry tells uh, quite a bit of stories tells good stories and but one thing he does is with me I, I noticed Larry would always use his stories to teach me a lesson and if I didn't learn the lesson he'd tell me the story again so one thing that, that, that happened often, and Larry and I had the opportunity to travel together, and he introduced me to a lot of people around town, and, and uh, often they would come up to us and they'd say, hi, Larry, how are you doing? And he would say, I'm doing well. they say, Tyrone, how are you? I'm good. And we'd have the conversation, the person would leave, and Larry would come up and say, you know, my, my mom was a school teacher when I was growing up, and she used to get really bothered every, every time somebody asked us how we're doing, and we'd say, we're doing good. She always told us to say, we're doing well. Like, cool story. We run into someone else. Larry, how are you? I'm doing well. Tyrone, how are you? I'm doing good. We'd have that interaction. Larry would come up. You know, my mom was a school teacher when I was growing up. And, 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 and he would remind me again until I finally got to the point where I, I realized he, he's trying to tell me I'm not answering that question the right way. So I thought, I better go look up why he's saying this. Why is this so important? And I found that According uh, to the English language and the context that we're talking about, and according to uh, the great theologian, Granny Annie Autry, it, it, it actually means when someone asks you how you're doing, of course, that interaction, that engagement, they're asking about the condition of your health, the condition of your life. They're asking how you're doing on the inside, how is your situation? And if you answer good, you're actually answering based on your behavior. I'm doing good. When truthfully, they're asking how you're doing, and the proper answer is, I'm doing well. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I'll give an example. In the hospital, if you go and, 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 and as, as, a, as a clinician, if you go and, and check on someone, or if you're, you're looking in their notes, you will see that they'll notate if this person is well enough to go home. In fact, if you go through the drive-thru, I didn't mention this earlier, but if you go through the drive-thru at some Walgreens, the last thing they will tell you is, be well. But I've never heard anyone get out of prison or jail on account of well behavior they get out because of good behavior. See, catching me? Am I doing well? Am I doing good? English lesson of the day. But when I think about doing well, how am I doing, it takes my thoughts back to 2016, this book that we did as an all-skate, just like we're going to do uh, starting next week with Emotional Healthy Spirituality, uh, this book called How's Your Soul by a pastor named Judah Smith from the Seattle area. And he wrote this book, How's Your Soul? And in the book, he talks about it's so easy and often in our society to go around and ask people how they are doing. And even for ourselves, we're asking about the condition of their life based on things on the outside. How's work? How, how are things going at the, at the office? How's, how's the team looking? How's it going, how's it going with, your, with, your, with your date nights? And, and, and how, how's that yard coming along? It's so easy. When we ask someone how, they're, how are they doing, how, how, how are you doing, uh, isn't it so often that if they say something besides good, it throws you off and you actually have to engage in the conversation? Like, how are you? I'm doing terrible. Uh-oh. Uh, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> in fact, my car's still on, but email me, you know? Like, you're not ready for anything besides I'm doing well, I'm doing good. But the truth is, uh, what Pastor Judah wrote about is 
when can we get to a point to where as we develop our circle and as we develop the relationships that are close to us, the people that really give us a space to speak into their life and they give us, we give them the space to speak into ours to where we can ask the question, how's your soul, meaning how are you doing on the inside? How are you doing on the inside despite what's going on around you, despite what's happening to you, despite what something maybe that's been done to you or what you've done to someone else, how are you doing on the inside? And I love that thought and I love that conversation and I, and I love the book, but it never meant so much to me until we came to 2020 and I had to come face to face with myself in March, April, May, and June. Because if I can be transparent with you, if I can be completely honest with you, I found myself in some places as a believer and as someone who believes in Jesus and as someone who believes in our nation and as someone who believes in the promises of God, I found myself in a place that was pretty dark. I found myself in a place where I started to feel pretty empty and broken. And I realized, at least for myself, that I, I thrive or I'm built so much based on my opportunity to interact with people I thrive so much based on my, my, my opportunity or, or, or interactions with crowds and with groups. And, you know, once a year it was important for, for me to go to the gym and now I can't do that. And, 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 and so many different things that, that I didn't realize fed me so much that when they were stripped away, I realized I wasn't okay. And I would have phone calls with with, with different people, and, and I'm not much of a phone call guy. I text and email and whatever else, social media. I'm not much of a phone call, but I found myself getting to the point where I had just had to sit, especially when we were really in the deepest part of this quarantine. I just had to sit and hear someone's voice. I had to l just, just let my thoughts and my feelings out, and I had to hear from someone else. And it's funny because I was so quiet and so hidden and, and so tucked, tucked away about it at first until finally uh, I was having a conversation with one of our youth leaders and I, and I said, how are you doing? And they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm all right. How are you? And I'm like, I, I'm not okay. I'm, I, don't, I don't think I'm doing good. And she breaks down crying and she says, I'm so glad you said that, because I'm not good. <laughs> I'm not okay at all. Because you see, what happened was, and I'm not talking about our identity overall, but what happened with us is that we didn't understand the amount of the value we, 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 we allowed uh, our life to be dictated, the value of our life that we allowed to be dictated by the things we were able to do and the interactions we were able to have. And what we found is the less we were able to do, accomplish, be seen, and, and, and see others do on the outside, we had to face what was going on on the inside. And we found out that there wasn't a depth there that we thought was there. I began to question even my own value, and I, don't, I can't speak for you, but I began to question my own value. How can I be a youth pastor when I can't have a service, when I can't take a kid to lunch, when I can't show up to a school, but they're calling and texting me, telling me how depressed they're feeling? God, if I can't do what you've called me to do at the capacity you've called me to do it, then what are you going to do with me? Because I'm feeling pretty worthless right now. God, we've talked to our girls so much about the fun and excitement and what we believe about school, I have to sit down a four and six year old and explain to them that we don't know when they're going back. 
And even worse, daddy has to teach. <laughs> we sat around as a staff, and my father, our lead pastor, he joked, actually, with the production team one day. He joked and he said, can you imagine if we couldn't be in the, the building for Easter? This was in March. If you weren't at our church yet, we weren't. He said, can you imagine celebrating Mother's Day and Father's Day? There's no way we won't be able to have vacation Bible school. I, I told the, the youth leaders, I told the students in, in March and, and in April, I said, guys, don't worry. Services won't look the same, but when it's time for camp, that's when we'll ramp it up. And camp never happened. And I really started to feel the pain on the inside that honestly didn't have much to do with what was going on in, outside of me, but a lot to do with what was in there that I didn't know that was now coming to the surface. I remember a Monday morning, I got a list of about 20 kids, 20 students, and I don't, I don't know, I, I didn't share this in the first service, but I just, it was one of the most painful things I had to do, called, I think it was 20 to 22 students, when I saw a post on social media that said they're, not, they're no longer gonna have uh, in-person high school graduations. And I called senior after senior and just let them cry on the phone. And I said, I, it's not fair. I, I, I know this isn't what you signed up for. I know, I know you planned for it. I know you're excited about it. And honestly, I said all the verses I could think of. I said all the encouragement I can think of. When I finally got to interact with them on FaceTime or Zooms or whatever, I encouraged them. And, I, and when I, that phone call would end, I'd say, Lord, I'm not doing anything for them. I'm not helping them. They're hurting, and I can't tell them that half the time I'm sitting here feeling just as broken, just as lost, just as confused. And I realize that even though there's times when we're believing in God and we know who he is, we let situations, though they don't determine what we know about salvation and God, it still allows us to get in such a deep and dark place because we don't know what his plan is and we look to ourselves wondering what we did wrong and how we could change it. Psalms 42 in the passage, you, you, the, the, writer, the writer goes back and forth, but but I do want to share a verse that gives you some, just an understanding the direction that we're going because, because in Psalms 42, he, he's going back and forth, but, but, but there's a verse that Pastor Judah used in his book that really just lays it out for us. And it says this in, in 3 John 2, and it says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be good in good health as it goes well with your soul. That you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Not goes well with your activity, not goes well with your interactions, not goes well with your events, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And we come to an understanding, even just reading that verse to begin with, that a lot of our health is so determined by the condition of our soul. And the writer is going back and forth, and there's four observations I want to make uh, from the writer in, in, in this passage. And, and, and it's interesting because David, we know David was a man after God's own heart. We know that, that this writer loved God. We know that this writer believed in God. But, but it doesn't mean that this writer couldn't get in a dark place. 
It doesn't mean that circumstances didn't make him hurt. There's people in this room that are battling cancer. There's people in this room that are trying to decide if they're going to keep their job or, 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 or continue uh, to, to take time off so they can school, uh, do schooling for their kids. There's people here that are grieving the loss of a family member. There's people here whose family members are in the hospital right now. And those situations are really outside of our control. But we're letting it affect the condition of our soul on the inside. But today I have a solution. Today there is an answer, but I do want to go into this passage and point out four observations, four observations from Psalms 42. And the first thing is this, the writer was honest. The writer was honest. The writer speaking to himself and speaking to a God that he firmly believed in said, I am messed up, I'm broken. I love the version that says, why am I so downcast? Why is my heart so sick? But he was honest. But I, I tell you this morning, Jesus Christ didn't come to this earth to change who you pretend to be. Jesus Christ came down to this earth to change who you are down to your core from the inside out. We're only as sick as our secrets, and we have an opportunity to be real, authentic, and honest with ourselves and honest with our God in our moments of pain, weakness, and loss. The writer was honest. One thing I also want to highlight is the writer remembered. I love that the writer remembered. The writer, writer reflected back on the good old days. And sometimes we, we, we give people a hard time for looking back. But, but, there, but there are times that I believe we have to remind ourselves, encourage ourselves based on the things that we know God has done in our life. Because if you're here today and there's breath in your lungs and there's blood in your veins, that means that God has rescued and protected you from more than you will ever know. If you are in this room or if you're logged online, that means that God has miraculously positioned you in a place that you can hear about his goodness and his truth. I'm telling you, don't ever lose sight and track, don't lose track of the miracle that you are, that you were saved from yourself that you were saved from the grips of the enemy. Don't do the things that I started to do in those dark times, in those dark moments as I laid there. I mean, gosh, it got to the point where I didn't even, I started losing track of what day it was. And I'm like, how long have I been wearing these sweats? And it was just, it was just such a weird time. And, and I got to the point where all of my reflection going back was, what could I have done different? How could I have prepared? And then I started going even further back to hurtful moments and painful moments in my life. And, and you notice it just starts to snowball as you allow this pain in you to, to, to brew and to grow. And, and I get to a point where I'm reflecting so much on the hurts that I'm feeding it. Where the truth is, if I reflect on the things God has done in my life, if I remember what God has rescued me from, if I remember the moments in worship, if I remember the interactions, if I remember the miracles, if I remember the great and mighty things that I've seen him do, the, the fact that, 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 that if I remember there's times, God, in moments where we showed up to a school and gave a kid a slice of pizza, and months later, we see them lifting their hands in worship with tears flowing down their face, encountering the reality in the presence of God. I've got to reflect back on those moments as times. And I become grateful. But one thing I do 
I want to highlight, I want to, I want to say, this condition of the knots in your stomach, the, the heaviness in your chest, the, the waking up in a panic and, and, and going to bed anxious and going to work anxious, and some of you students logging on anxious and going to school anxious, do we realize this is not just a 2020 thing? It's so interesting that we highlight it right now in 2020 because we feel like we're at a bit of a level playing field. But some of you guys, as you hear about anxiety, as you hear about depression, as you hear about the battles in your soul, as you hear, as you hear about the doubts that people are, are dealing with, you're like, welcome to the party. Some are like, I've dealt with this since, since the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s. We, we, we highlight this as a 2020 thing because now we all had to look ourselves in the mirror. We had to come face to face with ourselves. But the truth is, None of these topics were invented this year. None of these pressures or pains all of a sudden came out to the limelight this year. At least for me, it became real because it came into my room. I've counseled people through it. I've prayed people through it, loved people through it, and, and all these different things. But it became different to me when I had to look myself in the mirror and say, I'm not doing okay. So I don't want to act like this is a, a one-year thing. I don't want to act like this has anything to do with a calendar. But it has to do with the fact that we are humans and we have a soul and there's a battle for our soul. There's a battle for our mind. There's a battle for our emotions. Uh, the, the, the Bible talks about the soul. I, the, one, the, the best definition I like, or I guess the best description I like is uh, a soul is, is a combination of our mind, will, and emotions. Our mind, our will, and emotions. But as we march through as we march through, now that we're all there, Psalms 42, now that we're there and understanding the pain, some of you guys have experienced that pain and that loss now, some of you experienced it years ago, and, and we're there, and we talk about how, how, how the writer, how the writer, uh, the writer uh, remembered, and we talked about how, 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 how the writer was honest, but, but do we notice that the writer also, even in his pain, the writer worshiped? He worshiped. He didn't worship from a place of happiness and joy. He didn't worship even from a place of victory. Do you know it's okay to worship from a place of pain? Do you know it's healthy to worship from a place of loss? Worship from a place of brokenness? You know why? Because when we worship, we deflect the attention. We deflect our minds. We deflect our condition from ourself. And we look up and we say, God, it's not about me. You're still good. You're still mighty. Your plans are still yes and amen for my life. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to lift up my voice. I'm going to lift up my hands because you are still good. Even if it's a song like, it is well with my soul. If you, if you read the lyrics, listen to the lyrics, there's nothing happy and joyful about the condition of the writer. Besides when you get down to the root and the writer says, even so, it is well with my soul. And lastly, of these points, the writer was honest, the writer remembered, the writer worshiped, and the writer declared. The writer declared, even going back and forth, why am I so downcast, oh my soul? Why is my heart so sick? Oh God, I remember when the times were good and, and oh man, why am I so depressed? And God, why, why have you, why have you, seems like you turn your back on me. Even after all of that, the writer makes a statement that's declarative and that seals everything that he said. And he said, my savior 
and my God. My Savior and my God. And I think it's important for us to understand that no matter the circumstances, no matter the situations, no matter what's going on on the inside, if you want to feel well on the inside, if you want to feel a health and a nurturing on the inside of you, declare over and over who your Savior and your God is. There's times when things may look like they're not going to get any better. Declare who the Savior and the God of your finances is. Declare who the Savior and the God of your marriage is. Declare who the Savior and the God of your parenting is. Declare who the Savior, I'll drive by, my kids can't be there yet, but I will declare who the Savior and the God of that school is. I will declare who the Savior and the God of that jail is. Jacob will go to San Luis and declare who the Savior and the God of that community is. We'll declare. It doesn't mean that, 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 we're, feel, that we're feeling all the feels and we're, oh, I'm, I've got chills today and God's really moving. Let's go declare. Let's declare when I don't feel good about it. Let's declare when those numbers on the account are red. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Lord, thank you for rescuing us. But, but I'm telling you, we've got to declare who our God and our Savior is. And there's a thought I want to share just a, just a line that I hope you can grasp with me when we think about this passage, because the verse that stands out to me the most, even though it's, it's, it's beautifully written and it's honestly written and, and it's written from a broken place and, and there's nothing wrong with writing from a broken place, but, but I believe the most important passage comes from verse one when it says this, as the deer panteth for the water, I'm going to quote it in the old school, as the deer pants for the water, oh, my soul longs after thee. And I realize with everything going on, with the writer saying, I might have lost fame, I might have lost the women, I might have lost the money, I might have lost the palace, I might have lost the influence, I might have lost the fans, I might have lost the homes, but God, the thirst down in me is for you. As the deer panteth for the water, oh, so beautifully said after first service, one of the, the, the ladies from the church came up to me and she goes, do you know? This passage has been in my heart too, and I actually, I read something that with deers, when deers, they, they, when they go for water, when they go looking for water, if they become what we call dehydrated, their bodies start to get, give off a scent that makes them more susceptible to their enemies. Yeah, she could have came up and preached that. I thought to myself, as they weren't, if they're not nourished, by that water, they come more susceptible to their enemies. As the deer panteth for the water, the writer said, I, 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 you can take everything else away, but don't take away the satisfaction of my soul that only comes from you. And the, the statement that the Lord put in my heart says this, as a righteous thirst is satisfied, a soul is made well. As a righteous thirst, not the thirst for fame, because you can get fame and still not be well. Not the thirst for, for attraction, for relationships, not the thirst for things, not the thirst for finances, not the thirst even for people to be happy with you, because you can get those things and still not be well. But as a righteous thirst, as a thirst for not something, but for someone who is greater than I, greater than you, as we thirst, and as that thirst is satisfying to us, our soul is made well. Now, as I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking as a thirst 
satisfied soul made well. Deer panteth for the water, soul made well. Am I well? Are you well? I'm writing this message called, Are You Well? And I'm thinking of the waters and it takes me to Genesis. And I think about the fact that when, when the Lord called Abraham and when, 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 he, when he made a promise to him and when he said his favor is upon him and he said, Abraham, from you will come many nations. I'm gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna make you famous. And, be, and the generations from you will be blessed. Abraham built a well. And then his son Isaac inherited all the wealth. His son Isaac inherited all the promise. His son Isaac inherited all the blessings. But then he came to a point in the land of the Israelites where some people called the Philistines weren't happy. They weren't happy with the fact that he had the cattle, he had the land, and he had the health, and he had the wellness. So what they did in order to affect his health and in order to affect his wealth is they went and clogged the wells. They basically said, if, if, he, if we want him not to, long, no, to no longer be well, we're going to stop the well. Because see, water and wells, all the way back to the beginning of time and creation, water represents life. Water nourishes dry ground and brings life. Water nourishes animals. Water nourishes humans and brings life out of us that would not have been there if it wasn't for the nourishment of the washing of our insides, the washings of our bodies. Our bodies are built, designed, and function based on water. The washing, the rinsing, the drinking, the sustaining of water. And they said, if we can stop the flow, we can stop the blessing. So Isaac, knowing, knowing where the flow comes from, knowing where the blessing comes from. When they clogged the wells, he said, I'll leave. You can have it. You can have the land. You clog my well, I, I'll, I'll move. And he moved. And the first thing he did is he found some of the wells that his dad has built before that were actually clogged up by the Philistines and he began to dig them out. He began to take all the mess and the junk out of those wells and they dug far enough to where the fresh water was coming through again. I believe a lot of people in their, in their life, even here today, allow so much junk to fill their well. They allow so much junk from life, so much of their own thoughts, so much of their own feelings, so much of their own emotions, so much of their own circumstances begin to weigh down into their well to where the freshness of the flow is no longer evident. And you wonder why you're so dry. And you wonder why you're not feeling nourished anymore. I believe Isaac's a great example to us to undig those wells, to reach down and reach deep till we find the flow, the refreshing waters again. The refreshing waters that wash us clean, the refreshing waters that bring life to us. As Isaac, as Isaac built that well, I love the passage. It says this in uh, chapter 26, verse 22, that Isaac, as he was moving, he, they would clog the well. And he's like, all right, I'm out of here. And abandoning that one, it says this, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it. So Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means open space, for he said, at last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. He probably transferred so much people. He probably transferred so much cattle. He probably transferred the equivalent of so much money, but he said, we don't prosper until we have a well. We are not prosperous people until there's a flow of life. And we know, or we, you can learn today, that he had a descendant from him by the name of Jacob. Jacob also honored God 
with his life. Jacob also was a part of the, 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 the blessed lineage, as, as the Bible says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, at one point or another, understood that life from that well was so important, that the flow of that water was so important to his health and to his wellness that he built a well as well, as well, goodness gracious. He built a well in order to sustain the people that he was designed to lead. And you know how we know he built a well? Because I, I, don't, I don't see much in the Bible of his interactions specifically around that well, but what I do see hundreds of years later in John chapter four is a broken girl in a broken condition that walks to a well in the hottest part of the day, in a part of the day where nobody wants to be seen because that's the condition she was in. In fact, I would say that this woman was in a condition very similar to Psalm 42. She felt broken, she felt downcast, she felt rejected, she felt pushed away, she felt, uh, that she felt that she wasn't needed and she had no value. If you study it, it says that this woman was known to go from guy to guy to guy looking for satisfaction of her thirst, looking for satisfaction, not for her body, but satisfaction for her soul. And it didn't work out for her. But see, there was a different interaction in John chapter 4. Because Abraham was a picture and a vision of, a, of, of us understanding that there's a coming Savior in living water. Isaac was a picture and a vision of a coming Savior in living water. Jacob, a picture and a vision of a coming Savior in living water. But in John chapter 4, when that woman walked to that well, there was a man waiting for her. A man waiting for her who made a decision in that moment that he's going to cross cultural lines. He's going to break the rules. And let's, let's not miss this lesson we learned from Jesus in this moment. Jesus made a decision that he's not going to let culture dictate who he loves. He's not going to let culture dictate who he interacts with. He's not going to let lines decide who needs the love of Jesus. He said, I was sent to save those who were lost. And I don't care what color they are. I don't care what they're mixed with. I don't care if it's a man. I don't care if it's a woman. If they are coming and thirsty, I'm going to satisfy their thirst. Because I know that a thirst satisfied, a righteous thirst satisfied, a person is made well. And Jesus sitting there on that well interacts with this woman. And this woman goes to him and she's saying, but you're, you're a man, you're Jewish. She even tries to change the topic and the subject as Jesus starts to what we call read her mail, tell her about herself. But the interesting thing about it is as, as she's talking about physical water from this well, physical water, the symbolism that we see in the Old Testament, this physical water that brings life, Jesus says, but I am the Messiah and I have a water that will never run dry. I have a water. I am the Messiah. There's a, whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. I'm going to read the passage. It says this. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again from this well. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Eternal life, not just a seat in heaven, but eternal life, a satisfied soul on this earth. I can't promise you health and wealth on this earth on the outside. I can't promise you anything having to do with your finances. I can't, I can't promise, promise you much, but I do know that if you allow Jesus inside and let that water bubble up inside of you, you never have to feel alone. You never have to feel dry again. 
And this Jesus interacts with her and he tells her all about herself and, and she experiences something inside of her that's so life transforming, that's so life changing, that regenerates her so much on the inside, it says that she dropped her bucket because she was no longer concerned of what she was feeling on the outside because she, that bubbling spring came into her and she no longer cared about the things about the, on the outside that could have before caused her to feel dry on the inside. Now that she had an interaction with this Jesus, I don't need that bucket and I'm gonna go tell others about this man who changed everything about my life. So I ask you today, are you well? Are you well? Are you in a place where, where, you, where circumstances can come and go, situations can change, life can have its ups and downs, life can have its twists and turns, but because you've positioned yourself at the well, because you've positioned yourself to be refreshed by the spirit of the living God, can you say to yourself that I'm healthy, I'm whole, and I'm made free because of who my God is? I love how the washing of the water of Jesus can lubricate our souls in a way that even as life faces, faces us and we face life and we, and we tussle and we battle, we know our soul can be made well. Because honestly, guys, we can, we can thirst for so many things. But I don't know about you, but I, of all things that I thirst for, I want it to be a righteous thirst. Because I know no matter what goes on in my life, if my righteous thirst is satisfied, my soul will be made well. As you stand, I want to read some scripture. I want to read some verses. I love how when Jesus, when, when the Bible, when uh, Paul is writing uh, in the Bible about marriage, he says this, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing, the cleansing of God's word. I just love it how we can be washed by the cleansing from the inside out washed by his cleansing. That's why we baptize uh, people in a full submersion because we want to show on the outside that they've been washed fully and made clean. Washed fully once and for all by the spirit of God, by the power of God, by his love. This verse, is in John chapter seven, it says this, on the last day, the climax of the, fe the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And I'm telling you this morning, there's some of you who may be online, who may be in this building and, and you're saying, I don't want to feel dry anymore. Some of you have never met Jesus. Some of you never don't understand the fact that he's, when he's having this, this, this talk with this woman, this interaction with this woman in John chapter four, the reason he says it'll never run dry is because he knows there's gonna come a point where he sacrifices his life for her, where he carries her sins, her shame, and her pain to the cross once and for all. And the veil will be torn and we'll never be separated from the Lord again. And he returned three days later, just like he said he would. And he returned for her, returned for you, and he returned for me. And the talk of 
millennials and Gen Z, I want to I want to explain something that happened in John chapter 4. Jesus specifically went out of his way to interact with that woman because in that community, she was known as the person who's the most thirsty. She went from man to man to man, just like some of us go from job to job, from crowd to crowd to post to post, and every single thing as we indicate how thirsty we truly are. But he said, I know who she is. I know what she's done, and I love her. I know who she is. I know what she's done, and I'm here for her. I know what she, I know what she is. I know what she's done, and I've, I'm giving my life for her the lowest of the low. And I tell you this morning, he gave his life for you, knowing your story, not only the mistakes you've made in your past, but the mistakes you'll make in your future. And he died once and for all for you. So as we close, I'm gonna invite the prayer team up. And if you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, today is your day. If you never wanna live outside of that well, again, outside of that nourishing down deep into your soul, let the Spirit of God wash, wash you clean and let Him continue to nourish you, that water nourishing your soul down on the inside. If you're on online, and I want you to click on the chat. Let someone pray with you. Click on the digital connect card. Let them know you want to surrender your life to Jesus. If you haven't been baptized, you want to be fully submerged to show the washing on the inside of, of, of what God has done for you. Lastly, before I read this, this final passage, I want to read it over you, but I want to say this. I did a little research, and based on what I found, it says the human can live 21 to 28 days without food. The human can live 21 to 28 days without food, but you will be dead in three to four days without water. I'm telling you today, water is life, and water for your soul will regenerate everything that the enemy tried to steal from you. Everything that told you on the inside that you're not worth it. Every, I feel like someone needs to hear this today. There's something inside of you that's telling you that this is not for you, that the mistakes you've made are too far. You don't know enough about who this Jesus is. There's, you've been pushed away too many times. You don't trust it, I'm telling you today. You're gonna leave here feeling nourished, restored, and regenerated in a way like never before. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to read this passage, and I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. From Matthew chapter 11, it says this from the Passion Translation. Are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me, for all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. Father, I thank you for every person that's in here this morning, every person that's logged on. I thank you, Lord, that your son was sent for us knowing the mess that we would make of our lives, knowing the dryness that we would navigate, whether it was in times before or even in this season that seems to be so unstable. But Lord, today, we submit ourselves to you. We surrender our lives to you, knowing, God, that you can have our dreams, our visions, our thoughts, because it's all yours. God, we ask that you come 
in this moment and touch us with that fresh living water. Restore our hearts, our minds, our, our will, our emotions once and for all, God. Help us to remember that we can go to you day after day for that bubbling spring and well on the inside of us to continue to flow. We ask you, Jesus, to set us free in our minds and our hearts. We, God, we, we lift our worship up to you, Lord. We lift our voices up to you, Lord, in this moment, knowing that you've come to our rescue. And today, God, we take a drink of who you are. We take a drink of what you have for us. We ask you to wash us fresh with only what your anointing can do. God, we submit ourselves to you in faith. Baptize us in your love. Shower us with your blessings, with your favor in only a way that you can. We love you, Jesus, and it's your name that we pray. Amen. Let's worship.